Welcome to the journey of you, where we equip you to think with purpose, empower you to act in purpose, and encourage you to live on purpose. Hi, I'm Tony. I love to learn and I love to teach. As a coach, I get to do both. I get to learn about you and about the ways that I can help you. Then I get to teach you how to reach those goals you've set for yourself. Infidelity in my marriage has affected me unlike anything else that I have experienced. It stripped me of my confidence and self-worth and caused a level of insecurity that wasn't there before. I lost sight of who I was as a woman before I ever became a wife or a mother. But through God's love and grace, I slowly began to see myself as he sees me. Loved, chosen, accepted, enough, worth dying for. I realized that my identity was solely in Christ, not in a man or his actions, or his search to validate things in him that had nothing to do with me. I matter, and so do you. That's why I want to help you see yourself the way that God sees you, one mindset shift at a time. In order for you to get started today, you can go to www.thejourneyofyou.net forward slash five truths. Again, that's www.thejourneyofyou.net forward slash five truths. And let's get you started thinking with purpose today. Hello, Journey of You family. Today, we are speaking with Michelle Brown, and her testimony is so inspiring. I cannot wait for you all to hear it. I'm going to hand the mic over to her and let her tell you a little bit more about her journey, and we'll go from there. Michelle? Hi. Hello, Journey of You folks, um, if I should say it that way. So, you know, I'm not perfect, so I'm just going to speak. <laughs> um, first of all, yes, I'm Michelle Brown. Um and I'm originally from North Carolina, from a little town called Bun Level. And it's funny because one of my husband's uncles used to ask me all the time, are the buns level? I still didn't get what he meant by that. But anyway, I said, I don't know, I guess, you know. But to make a long story short, I'm just a little country girl that got married, came up to the city, and just enjoyed being in the city. and Didn't want to go back. Yeah. <laughs> um. But yeah, um, I've had um, issues for a long time, medical issues for a long time. Um, I, I was first diagnosed with heart disease um, at 24 years of age after I gave birth to my son. And um, for the most part, uh, we weren't really thinking about heart transplant until about a year later um, because I wound up getting pregnant again. And um, I... I couldn't even have the baby I had. So that was the first loss I had as it relates to me and children, having children. That was my first loss. And um, I didn't even have time to grieve over it. It was just one of those things where they were like, this is what you have to do. So uh, fast forward um, to after the after uh, having to uh, have the abortion with the child, I was told then that they thought I might need a heart transplant. And they wanted to put me on the heart transplant list. So I was 25 by that time. And so um, going forward, they said, well, we're going to put you on the list, but there's a cardiac study that we have with a drug. We don't know if you're going to get the drug or the placebo, but um, we're just going to you know, see what works. And if it works, we'll put you on the inactive list for the heart transplant. And then eventually we'll take you off. And so that's what happened. They put me on the, 
the medication and um, I did so well that they were like, okay, you, we're putting you on the inactive list. And then eventually they took me off and I went through the study for over a year. So mm-hmm. and by that time I had moved back to North Carolina. So I was driving back and forth um, with my husband. And so as years went on, um, I still had little issues with my heart and so forth, but I was able to lead a normal life and uh, pretty much work out, work full-time job, go to school. I mean, even during that time, I managed to get, what, three degrees, you know, and I never expected to do all of that. I, you know, I just wanted to get the one. But then as time went on, it was like, well, I think I need another one, you know, um, because the second one was born out of the fact that I knew I was getting laid off, that kind of thing. So, but for the most part, I got to lead a normal life. Um, I would say maybe uh, December of 2021, pretty much, um, I started feeling some things. I didn't know if it was related to the heart or not. And I I thought Mm -hmm. it was, I was just, you know, catching some kind of cold, having some kind of ailment. And I was going to all these different doctors and I I was seeing my cardiologist, but he really wasn't seeing too much. And then January of 2022, he was kind of like, well, um, I need you to go to the hospital. Um, And the hospital was like right down the street from there. And um, I was like, why do you need me to go to the hospital? Because I was feeling great. And I was like, I was prepared to go down to the Sam's Club and go shopping. And then I was going to go home, you know. <laughs> and I, I told him, I said, I was going to go to the Sam's Club. He's like, I need you to go to the hospital. He says, it looks like there's fluid building up around your heart. Um, and um, it looks like it's compressing it. And I think they need to go in and take a needle and drain it. And so I went down there and they... The doctors, they looked at it through this, um, um, it looked like a sonogram. It's called like an echocardiogram machine. Mm-hmm. So, and they saw the fluid, but they said, oh, it doesn't look like it's that much. And it's not enough for us to do any draining and so forth. And so for the most part, they sent me home. <laughs> and so I didn't realize it then, but I think that was the start of what was going on with the decline of my heart. Mm-hmm. I really do. Um, so um, I want to say maybe February, I was having some minor issues, but it was it was along the lines of, well, we're watching it, we're watching it. And I, I went back in to have, it was something going on with my defibrillator. I think, did they replace it? I think they replaced it at that time. And so, um, yeah, they did replace it. So... Then fast forward to March, I think it was, the end of March, no, towards the end of April, um, I was sitting here at my desk because I work from home. Since COVID, we've all been working from home. So um, I was sitting here and all of a sudden, uh, it was the end of the day and my heart started racing. And it was racing because I had what you call AFib, right? Mm -hmm. And when it started racing, I got this shock and I hadn't remember getting shocked that hard before. And it scared me really bad. And I, I, I told my son, I said, okay, we need to go to the emergency room. I think it was a Tuesday night. And mm-hmm. so we went down to the emergency room and um, I walked right in and 
you know, I was just uneventful, just walking in. And I told them what was going on. And they put me in this room and, you know, had me on the, the bed or whatever you call it, a bed stretch, whatever that thing is. And um, all of a sudden I couldn't breathe. And I kept telling them, I said, I can't breathe. I was like yelling out the door saying, I can't breathe. Come in. You need to come. I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And so they came back and they kept saying, well, your oxygen is, is the pulse ox is reading well. Your oxygen is well. I was like, I'm telling you, I can't breathe. They left. I had to keep yelling and say, hello, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And so eventually um, someone came in and they were like, oh, we have to get you upstairs. We're admitting you. And I remember them taking me into the elevator and it was this gentleman in there and he says, we got you, we got you. And he, the look on his face was like, I cannot believe they let you stay there like that. It was almost like if I didn't say anything, you know, yeah. I'd have still been there. I might would have passed out there because I don't remember what happened after I got in the elevator. I, I don't remember wow. at all. I just remember waking up later. I don't know if it was the next day or whatever it was. I had tubes in me. They had innovated me. So um, anyway, um, I remember my husband coming and my son coming. My son was, he was crying and he was like, I just looked at him. He was like, just rest, just rest. And so um, my husband was like, they called me and they said they thought you might not make it through the night. And I was like, what? Nobody told me anything like that. What's going on? And so um, anyway, um, I was there for a couple of days, about three days. And they kept putting me to sleep and I kept, I would wake up and, you know, I'd look at them and they give me, they give me another dose. I guess they kept sedating me. And so no one ever told me what was really going on other than they mentioned some weird, I can't even remember the name of the condition said I had went into some kind of shock or something. And so, um, anyway, after that third day, they woke me up and they were like, um, we're going to, we're going to send you out of here. We're going to send you to, because I was at Southern Maryland Hospital. So they were going to send me to Washington Hospital Center in D.C. And they said, we're getting ready to fly you in a helicopter um, because um, we want you to get better care. And so that's what they did. They took <laughs> They put me in the, they took me to the plane, got there. And the plane, we got there, the plane was not working. And so they uh, took me out of the plane and we were sitting in the emergency room area and the, the paramedics, they were like, um, they were real nervous because they knew they had to get me to the, to, the, to the Washington Hospital Center as fast as they could. And so I was afraid, but I kept remembering parts of the scripture. But I was, I think I kept remembering it backwards, but I kept saying in my mind, I will live and not, I will live and not die. I will live and not die. I will live and not die. And so that kept me calm. And um, we got, they took me back to the helicopter. I think it was a new helicopter that time. And we flew out and uh, we got there. They were like, you did so good. You were so calm. I was like, you just don't know what I was saying in my mind the whole time. I didn't tell them anything. I just, you know. And so uh, that was the beginning. They, The um, doctor kind of said, 
okay, we see what's going on with you, but we're kind of concerned because your heart is so weak and we don't know why it's so weak. And so they, at that time, they were talking about maybe looking into transplant, but the way they were talking was like further down the road, like, I wouldn't, when I say further down the road, not years, but like maybe over the next few months, start looking into evaluating me for that and that kind of thing. And they mentioned this LVAT, um, which is a device that uh, that they kind of hook up to you and it keeps the heart going while you're waiting on a transplant. Um, so they were like, okay, we're going to get you better where you can go home. And... Um, they want they they did that and then they said you know they wanted me to follow up closely with them and um i was supposed to go back i think within a week but i didn't go back within a week because they scheduled my appointment for um when i think it was 3 weeks after that and so from that point um i started having trouble again with the swelling and everything and I went, I was sitting here during the morning working again. And uh, I started having the, the arrhythmia again. But this time when I was having the arrhythmia, my device did not shock me. And I kept having it. And I could barely breathe. And I was sweating profusely. And I just kind of grabbed onto the desk and I was like, oh, Lord, help me. And I just kept praying. And then I was like, I, I was calling my son. I said, look, we need to call 911. I wasn't going to have him take me. I was like, we need paramedics now. And so I I, I was going to have him call. And then all of a sudden I was, I got a break and I just called myself. And the whole time I'm telling them, I'm going through this arrhythmia and I'm telling them what's going on. This is clear. And um, that was God sustaining me because I, I was talking through the whole thing. And they came when they got here, they were like, um, can you walk downstairs? I said, no, I'm afraid. And so um, they said, OK, we're going to go get a chair. So they went down and they got a chair, brought the chair up and they put me in a chair and they took me down the stairs. Then when we got outside, they were like, well, can you walk to the, the uh, stretcher? And I was like, yeah, I think I can do that. So I got up and I walked to the stretcher, got on the stretcher. So they put me in the ambulance and um, I'm still going through the arrhythmia, mind you. I'm still heart just, you know, and I could barely breathe and I'm sweating like crazy. And um, so they were trying to put an IV in me. They couldn't do that. And so the whole time they're driving, I'm going through that long beat. And so we get to the hospital. I'm still going through it. And um, so they said, we're going to have to shock you. And I looked at him and I said, do what you got to do. <laughs> you were still so, conscious at this time. Um, and I, I do admit that I was going to feel every bit of that electrical current when they shocked me. Wow. So um, they were going to try to, they were trying to stick me with the, you know, put the IV in and they couldn't do it. Because they wanted to give me something for pain. Mm -hmm. And so they were like, we don't have time. So they pulled out the things, the pattern. They just went, and I said, ah! I'm flailing, you know. And I, but I started feeling instant relief, you know. And so they kind of said, okay, 
we got you stable. We're gonna we're gonna fly you out to the hospital to Washington Hospital Center. So that's what they did. And so um, they did that. Went straight back. I don't remember all the details, but I do know they took me to ICU, and they mm-hmm. were like, "Yes, yeah, your heart." And you know, we're we're thinking we're gonna have to look into transplant and that kind of thing. But they still weren't exactly sure. They just kind of wanted to see what they could do to make sure I was stable enough and all of that. And they knew there were all these things that they needed to do, tests, approvals, and all that kind of thing. You know, so what they did was they they treated me, and they were thinking they were going to eventually be able to send me home. But each time they kept saying, okay, we think we can send you home, but there's something else. There's something else. And I didn't want to go home because... I was like, well, I went home last time and then a couple of weeks later, and this is what's happening. Quite frankly, yeah. I'm scared to go home. So yeah. I was like, do whatever you need to do to make sure you take care of whatever it is that's going on with me before you send me home. Because I want to be safe when I go home. And so Absolutely. that's really what happened. It, it event, they, they tried all these different things and then they realized, okay, this medication is not supporting your heart well enough because they had me on an IV. They were going to send me home with an IV. And then they're going to have someone come in and check on me and that kind of thing. And they were also considering that LVAT thing. And so to make a long story short, they found out that even that medication was not supporting me well enough. And um, they sent me into this lab. They call it the, um, the, it's the cardiac, um, um, what did they do in there? Where they well, it was the cardiac lab where they go in and they they run tests and they use cath- the catheterization lab. That's what it is. They sent me in okay. there, and that's how they were able to test whether or not the medication they were give- they were giving me by IV was enough to to support to support. Me. So they mm-hmm. found out that they needed a second, and they don't send patients home with two IVs. So. Not only did they realize they needed a second, they realized right then they needed to put a pump and like run the catheter through my leg for a mm-hmm. pump so that it would help pump the heart so the heart wouldn't have to work as hard. So from that wow. point on, I was not able to get up out of bed. So um, they they worked me up. Well, they worked me up for the transplant prior to me having to go get that catheter in my leg. Um, mm-hmm. So they like had me do all these tests, take like if I had a mammogram, needed a mammogram, they did that. I had to do it early because it wasn't quite a year yet, but they were like, we're doing a mammogram, make sure you're okay. We're doing your, your um, OBGYN appointment. We're doing all that to make sure you're okay. We're giving you all the vaccines that you like. The, well, they, they gave me the, what pneumonia vaccine, hep, all the hep vaccines, every vaccine that they felt I needed, they gave it to me. Yeah. And so um they they were testing for cancer. They were testing for all these different things to make sure that I was healthy enough to even get on the list. Had I not, they wow. checked to make sure I didn't have diabetes. If I had mm-hmm. diabetes, they might not have put me on the list. So um and I was just talking to someone about that today. Even though I was overweight, I ate as healthy as I could. 
And had I not mm-hmm. done that, I could have been diabetic. But I think wow. all those things that I've done helped me. You know, God sustained me to where even though I was heavy, I was not having those kind of issues because I, I worked out, you know, even though I didn't, you know, didn't lose a lot of weight, but I worked out. I mean, I used to do spinning. Mm-hmm. We, did, we did spinning so hard, sweat was all over the floor. I mean, <laughs> I worked out just as hard as somebody that didn't have a heart problem. So, mm-hmm. um, but for the most part, that's, that's what went down. And then um, they got me on the list and I asked the doctor, I said, well, how long? Am I going to be on this list? Because I'm thinking three months at at mm-hmm. a minimum, you know, because I'm like, I believe I'm going to have to wait, you know, a while, you know, because I, I know there are other people and all that. So um, the doctor said, I said, I'm asking because I need to tell my supervisor so they can have an idea of how long I'm going to be in the hospital. And mm-hmm. so he says, because I said, it's going to be about two or three months. Right. And he says, Think one month. And I was like, what? <laughs> so I was like, what? What's going on? Because I thought, well, maybe he's just trying to get me to focus on right now, opposed to focus mm-hmm. on like year, a month from now, because I guess he didn't want me to be discouraged. But I found out yeah. later, literally, he did mean one month. And so I also found out they were trying to get it within two weeks. Wow. And they actually got it within three weeks. And so what's funny about the whole thing, they would come to me and they would tell me, you know, oh, we're getting closer. We're getting closer. We're just trying to find, make sure we find the right match and this and that. And they were telling me it was hard for me because I was O positive. And I was like, oh, yeah, I'm the universal donor. I can donate, but I can't accept everything. <laughs> and I said, oh, yeah, I get why it's hard. And so... um Anyway, some I, I know about maybe a few days before, all of a sudden it came in my spirit. God was telling me, your heart, you're getting ready to get your heart. And I was like, and I told my husband, I said, God said, I'm getting ready to get my heart. You're ready to get it. And um, so, but I'm thinking in my mind, July 4th, I was going to get it. And um, they came to me on the 29th of June and said, we have your heart. And they had come that morning and they knew then, but they kept saying, well, we're getting close. We're getting close or whatever. I was like, oh, okay. And I said, as long as you, as long as you give me what I need to sustain, you know, <laughs> and I'm praying, I'm going to be all right. I'm here, you know? And so, um, they came back later that evening and they said, we have your heart. And the nurses were like, we knew all day. And they told us not to tell you. And we kept coming to get blood from you and you didn't say anything. And I just knew you were going to ask questions about why you keep getting all this blood drawn. Because I'm usually asking them a bunch of questions. And I said, well, yeah. you know, y'all are always getting blood from me. So I just figured, you know, I, I didn't think anything of it, you know. And so they said, that's what we were doing, trying to make sure <laughs> with the blood. And so they they scheduled it. They said, we're scheduling it for the 30th. And so um, I, my husband came down and um, my son was there. My, hu- my husband relieved my son because my son had to go back to work. So husband, he stayed the whole time, you know, while I was in surgery. I think they said it was, I want to say nine hours. I'm not wow. sure. At least nine hours. 
but mm-hmm. I was out and I, my husband said he walked, walked with me to my room. I, of course I wasn't walking, but you know, I don't remember, I don't remember any of that. So, but, uh, <laughs> I just remember the next day they were like, you got your heart, you know, and I knew I had it because I woke up and I looked and I said, okay, I'm not, I'm in a different room. Because mm-hmm. if I didn't get it, it would have taken me back to the original room that I was in, which was on okay. another part of that wing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because the, they had told me, even though they felt like it was the right heart, there was that chance that I could go in there and they, the heart might not be good. They might find out okay. that the heart is sick. Mm-hmm. And when they told me that, I said, well, you know what? We're going to pray that this is the right heart. This is going to be the right heart. We're not going to turn it. We're not going to have to turn it away. I'm not going to have to wait on another heart. And so that's the kind of faith I had, you know, because for a while I was so afraid, so afraid. (laughs) I mean, I was freaking out. Um, I mean, to the point I was shaking. My blood pressure was shooting up because I was scared. Mm -hmm. And I literally had to have it was this one chaplain that stuck with me the whole time. And um, she would tell me how to kind of just deal with the anxiety. She was like, this is an easy exercise. She says, I want you to just stretch your feet out. She said, can you feel your feet? And I said, yeah. She said, so every time you feel that fear and that anxiety, you try to see if you can feel your feet. And so amazingly, that helped me. Mm-hmm. And of course I journaled and I would pray and I would write and sing and all that kind of thing. And that kind of helped me. She come talk to me almost every day, you know, and, um, it, that's, that's what it took, you know? And I thought to myself, I said, God, I have not been perfect. You know, I try to do my best, but I have not been perfect. And I'm like, am I praying well enough? It, you know, and then when it happened, when I actually got the heart, it was like he was answering me, telling me, you did well enough. You didn't have to be perfect. But you were, you know, it's like, as long as you're sincere and you're believing and you, you know, you're trying, that's what, that's what he's looking for. That's what I felt like in my spirit, you know? So I'm like, I've been beating myself over the head thinking I'm not doing well enough because I'm not, I'm not an orator. I'm not. The best prayer. I mean, I'm not the best. I, I don't like know all scriptures and that kind of thing. You know, I'm not a scripture, scripture quoter person. I'm, I'm not that kind of person. But and sometimes I don't remember everything word for word. Mm-hmm. But I, I do. I do remember. <laughs> I do remember parts, you know, other than, you know, like my favorite scripture is Proverbs 3, 5 and 6. You know, trust mm-hmm. in the Lord with all in heart, your heart and lead not to your own understanding. Yeah, that is my favorite. But um, yeah, it's like I've learned that certain scriptures are like so, you know, how people will say, well, I don't believe that and this and that. Mm-hmm. I said, let me tell you what. There are some scriptures that I question, mm-hmm. but sometimes I say it's not all for me to know. Yeah, but I'll tell him. I, t- I say, well, I do know one scripture that when God said that He's gonna do something, He's gonna do it. Cause, Amen. 
especially that one, vengeance is mine. God spoke that to me one time. I kept yeah. hearing it over and over. I was in church and because mm-hmm. I wanted to get back at somebody. And nobody knew other than my husband that I was trying to get back at somebody. And my husband mm-hmm. was with me because I was going to get back, you know, with the power of the pen. And I kept hearing that over and over and I was tears streaming. And because we had been praying in church that Sunday and um, people were like, are you OK? What's going on? What's going on? I said, I, I looked at him. I said, God I said, vengeance is his. <laughs> he told me that vengeance was his. <laughs> you know. And so that's what I told my husband when I got home because he thought I was going to write this letter and all this to, to get back at these folks. And um, I said, nope, I'm not going to do it because God said vengeance yeah. is his, so I'm going to leave it alone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, and it's not all the time that, um, you know, how some people say when God speaks to you and that kind of thing. It's not all the time mm-hmm. that I hear God mm-hmm. speaking to me, but I tell you what, I felt like I had it, I heard it more this year. Yeah. Than I have in a while because I guess mm-hmm. it's because he knew that's what I needed. Mm-hmm. Because it's almost like God, I need to know because I'm just confused. I, I I don't know. And then I just it, and it's not like I like some people say they hear God speak in different ways. It's not like I hear a booming voice. It's not like I hear a specific voice. It's just the words coming to my consciousness. Yeah. You know, it's like, it's almost like, say you, you get in front of a hot stove and you think you want to touch it and something, say, don't do that. It's yeah. almost like that, you know? Yeah. It's almost like that. And I took a religion class years ago when I was in my undergrad, because we had to take, I think it's, I forget exactly which class it was, but that fell in, in the program, fell into the under the program. So um, I asked the I asked the instructor. I was like, you know, um, you know, some people say God speaks to you, you know, and I believe God speaks to you, and I just want to know, you know, how does He speak to you? And he came out and he said, it's different ways. Mm-hmm. He's like, you could hear it this way, you could hear it that way, and I mean, it, and I I believe that's the way it was. But I just wanted to hear from someone that was really um, experienced in religion, you know, because mm-hmm. I, I never really heard how people say specifically other than somebody say most people I, I heard of. They were like, well, I, God knocked me on the floor and and it was like I saw this going on and this. And I'm like, well, Lord, do I have to be like that for me to hear you? <laughs> Because it's like, it's like, am I going to be scared today? We can speak to yes. me. You know, this was as a teenager, you know, when I was hearing that. So, and, mm-hmm. and but when I would hear him speak to me, I wasn't hearing it like that. It wasn't coming at me like that, you know. Um, it was more like a warning, like, um, don't do this, I'm, you know. And it's subtle. When I hear it, it's subtle, mm-hmm. you know, like, yep. don't do that. And it's like, I'm like, I'm arguing with it, you know, like, what do you mean? <laughs> and I'm not speaking out loud. It's like in my mind, I'm like, what do you mm-hmm. mean? <laughs> you have a whole conversation. I get it. And I think it's that God just meets us really where we're at. And to your point, he yeah. knows what you mean. I mean, because 
Sometimes it could be in visions and dreams. You know, it could be while you're sleeping and you might not even remember it when you wake up. But then when it happens in real life, I know that people always say deja vu. It's like, oh, my goodness, God showed you that in advance. And now you're seeing it in reality. It's just kind of that confirmation or even those still small voices like you hear it in your spirit. And even like you talked about with the different scriptures. Like that's what it is. Sometimes he brings them back to your remembrance. And while, because there are some scriptures I question too, so I totally understand, but it's those ones that you've lived through that you've actually walked out that it's like, nope, I know for sure that scripture because you walk through it just like you said. So I love that. I love that. Yeah, exactly. And just like when people say, you know, he doesn't speak to you, I'm like, yes, he does. Because he's warned me, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I would have witnessed the shooting if I hadn't, if I had, if I hadn't listened to what that warning that was given. I mean, it was just yeah. something simple as don't go to, I was going to go to the bank. It was something simple as, well, don't go to that bank. And mm-hmm. I'm like, Argan's like, it's my bank and I don't want to pay for ATM costs. And it was yeah. like, don't go there. And so I was like, it was so compelling. I was like, okay. <laughs> and later on that morning, I saw the guy laying out, laying in front of the bank. You know, he had been shot. So that's when I'm like, you can't stop. When people say they don't believe in God, and I've always believed, but even now I'm more compelled more so than ever because of what I went through with this medical emergency, you know, yeah. With having the transplant, I mean, with him sustaining me through, when I think about how he sustained me through all of that while I'm sitting here with my heart just going crazy mm-hmm. and I'm not passing out and I'm still talking, you know, I'm, um, I'm, I'm comprehending everything everybody's saying and I'm speaking clearly and they can hear me and I'm not mm-hmm. like jumbling up my words. I'm not about to have a stroke, you know. How he sustained me through all of that, you know. So, um, yeah. And, and I know you're the doctor that. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I know even through the course of that, that you have been journaling, um, that you've been writing songs. I know you have a book that you've written as well. So it's like even through all the different adversities, you've still found ways to pursue purpose and be able to share with other people how you felt how did you like maintain that even throughout that where even in those scary moments that you talked about how you were really afraid, how did you really overcome that or even continue like writing and, you know, walking through the things that God's created you to do, even in the midst of all of that adversity? Cause it kept me calm. (laughs) (laughs) I I mean, it, it just kept me calm. It was like, okay, if I just keep writing, if I can just keep writing, you know, mm-hmm. and it just gave me something to do. And mm-hmm. like, even when I didn't have a whole lot of visitors, you know, mm-hmm. and people were like, um, well, you know, I'm sorry I didn't come to see you. I said, it's fine because you wouldn't believe how busy I have been in here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like from from seeing the doctors and then the nutritionists coming by and then, then the infectious disease people coming by. It's like I always had somebody visiting me. And then I'm mm-hmm. I'm writing, and then you know, like um, I started singing in the hospital because the uh, chaplain she was like, because I, I I shared with her some music, and she's like, you know, you should sing while you're in here. 
And so that's when I, I started. She was like, yeah, you should sing while you're here. And so I would sing and the doctors would hear me, didn't know they were hearing me. <laughs> I remember one came in the next day and he says, I heard you. He was like, you should keep doing that. <laughs> mm -hmm. You know, um, but yeah, it, it just kept me, it just kept my mind off of what I was actually going through. Yeah. And I got to a point where I was like, even sometimes I would hear some negativity like, oh, and not when I say negativity, not other people telling me, but in my own mind, like the devil telling mm -hmm. me, you know, you're not going to make it. And I was like, mm -mm, mm -mm, I'm not going there. I'm not thinking that. Mm -mm, mm -mm. Yeah. I, I, and then I start repeating that scripture about not live, living and not dying, you know. Um, what was it? It's, I, shall, I think it starts off, I, shall, I will not die, but live and declare the works of the Lord. I think that's what mm -hmm. the scripture says. But I kept getting it backwards. <laughs> but it was working for you. And that's what matters. Yeah. Well, so even with all of the different adversity that you've had, and even, I mean, just the last year, everything that you went through and all the times of being in the hospital and going back and forth, them not knowing what's going on to the point that they figured it out and having to get the transplant to present day. If there's someone else that's listening that is also, you know, back and forth to the hospital trying to figure out, you know, what's going on medically and what those next steps are. What would you say to encourage them and keep them uplifted and going, even in those hard times when they don't have answers and they don't understand? What would you say to give? First and foremost, to focus their trust in God. Because even the doctors, while they are experiencing what they do, they admit to you that they don't know everything. And they admit that they think you're going to be okay. And I was, while I wanted them to tell me, you know, this is going to work. They couldn't tell me that. They said, we hope, we're praying. Um, and so that told me, you got to rely on God. You got to first seek God. And so... No matter what, that's what you have to do. And that's the, and then once, once you can get to that point where you're totally trusting in what God is going to do for you or that God is going to sustain you, oh gosh, where does it? Sorry about that. My ring alarm popped up on my phone. Yeah, my alarm popped up on my phone for every time somebody, the wind or somebody drives past the house, the alarm, you know, chimes on my phone and then it, the camera shows up on my phone. So <laughs> no worries. So, um, really yeah, that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's, I mean, first and foremost, that's what I think is that you put your trust in God. And then once you get that trust in God, then you start trying to build your confidence in yourself that you believe that you're going to be able to sustain, that you're going to get to that hurdle. But it's okay if you feel like you can't, 
That's mm-hmm. when you just say, God, I need your help. And that's and that's one of the things that really helped me when I talked to um, the chaplain. Because I told her, I said, you know, I was always told that God is not a God of fear and that we shouldn't fear. But I can't help it. I am very fearful. I am very afraid. And I get told, yeah. oh, well, you're sinning because you're because fe- you're fearing. And she told me, she says, well, no. She said, that's why God, God wants you to come to him. It's okay to have fear, but he wants yeah. you to come to him. And she even said, there's one scripture that helped me so much, which was, I forget where it comes from, but she's, it's, I know it ends up saying something about help me in my unbelief. Mm-hmm. And that helped me so much because it helped me to stop beating myself up so much yeah. for having doubt. I love that. Yeah. It helped me so much because God gives us grace, even though we're fearful. It's it's about that honesty and trying to maintain a relationship with him. It's not about having the perfect relationship. It's not about being the best Christian. It's about being honest with God and being honest with yourself. Yeah. And that's what I learned. I love it. I love it. And that's so true because... It's cause even in the beginning, I remember you talking about, you know, you weren't the best orator and, you, you know, you didn't, you know, say the best prayers. But it's not even that because it's just a conversation like God wants us to come to him just as we are. And it doesn't have to be a perfect prayer, you know, or a perfect orator. He just wants you to come to him just as you are and tell him when you're scared, you're angry, upset, mad when you want to get revenge. <laughs> he wants you to bring all of that to him and be honest with him. Mm-hmm. He can handle it. And so. I love that you even brought that to the forefront that it is okay for us to be fearful. It's okay for us to have doubts. We're human. That's going to happen. That's why we can bring it to God and let him walk us through it. Even in those times when we're scared and not sure which way it's going to go. So I love that you brought that out. And, you know, as we're closing, I would love to know if you'd like to pray us out, you know, just over everyone that's listening, just to uplift and encourage them, you know, that they could have, you know, that hope that they need to get through even just the next day. Okay. Father God, in the name of Jesus, I come to you as humble as I know how. I want to thank you for allowing me this opportunity to speak with Tonya and to be able to talk about my experience so that someone else can be helped from it. Lord, it is my prayer that you continue to bless everyone that's listening um, to this program, to this podcast. I pray that when they listen, anytime that they continue to listen to it and that when they walk away from listening to it, that they put their faith and their hope in you and that they don't beat themselves up when they can't uh, feel like they're not doing the right thing. But let them have that conversation with you. Let them always feel like that they can come to you, even if they can't come to anyone else. Let them always know that regardless of what anyone else says, you are the true and living God and that they should trust and depend on you. And if they get that relationship with you where they can trust and depend on you, everything else will fall into place. Lord, I am praying that um, I'm praying that everyone realizes that you'll give them grace. And that they recognize that they can ask for that. 
And even if they don't know how to ask for it, Lord, I'm praying that you will. I know that you will still give them that grace, Lord Jesus. I'm praying, Lord, that um, that minds will be healed. Um, bodies will be healed. Relationships will be mended. Um, and that not only will they find encouragement in you, God, but they will find their own voice to where they can go out and go out and help others, Lord Jesus, because we need to help one another, Lord Jesus. We need to love one another, Lord Jesus. And I'm just praying that um, we have an awesome, awesome, awesome revelation as to what um, you will have in store for us, Lord Jesus, so that we can follow, follow in your purpose. These prayers I ask in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. Amen. 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 Thank you so much for being with us, Michelle. I really enjoyed this. I can't wait to continue the conversation again as you go throughout your journey and we get to hear more about it. And if anybody wants to connect with you, whether it's on YouTube or Instagram, just to hear more about your story, hear your music, um, as well as, you know, just your testimony, where can they connect with you? Okay, they can connect to me um, on Michelle, well, Michelle M. Brown. That's where well, they can look for me under our YouTube. Um, okay. Also on Facebook, I think it's M- M- Michelle M. Brown. And okay, perfect. Michelle and I'll Brown, drop that Michelle. in the show notes too, so that everybody will be able um, to click on that and go directly to it as well. So thank you again so much. And we appreciate okay. it. Everyone, please, again, check the show notes to be able to um, reach out and talk with Michelle more. And Thank you. Uh, I, I was just like- Thank you so much for tuning in to today's show. We hope that you are leaving feeling equipped to think with purpose, empowered to act in purpose, and encouraged to live on purpose. If you aren't sure where to start and you would like to have the first five truths to help you build that foundation to start thinking with purpose, head over to thejourneyofyou.net forward slash equipped. Again, that's thejourneyofyou.net forward slash equipped so that you can download those first five truths of getting you started to think with purpose and really pursuing all that God created you to be. I'm excited to do this journey with you. Remember, this is your journey. It's where your life begins.